Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Saw Club. I would never want to be a member of any club that would have me as a member, but I am uh, very happy to be a member of Saw Club. And this holiday season, Saw Club is delivering the perfect gift experience. Quality American-made socks, folks. I enjoy getting socks from Saw Club. They send them every month. Go to SawClub.com and get 15% off using the discount code CanadaLand at checkout. Give the gift of Sock Club this holiday season. Danielle Paradis. Yes. Columnist for Metro Edmonton. Welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts for the first time. Thank you for having me. Today we are going to be talking about Lock Her Up Alberta style. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We're going to be talking about the Liberals' electoral reform web survey. And we're going to be talking about this uh, article in Toronto Life about the death of Toronto Star reporter Ravina Olak. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, great to be here. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Graham Schofield, Nev Perrick, Anne Forrestal, Deb Schellenberger, Karen Engel, Sherwin Arnott, Bernhard Newhofer, and Alex Derlach. Alex, why did you decide to be awesome? Because there are a lot of political podcasts that are from America, and it's great to hear articulate Canadian voices discussing the topic. And this episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. 
Danielle, you have, uh, it's like uh, one of those endangered species. You have like a full-time media job. No, I don't. Okay, well then by no. all means, you should be using FreshBooks. No question, you should be using FreshBooks for your billing. They have shown that it will get you paid faster. Even if you have just like a steady gig invoicing Metro, they have a, a feature for recurring invoices, so it's just a no-brainer. And you can see when they look at your invoice, you'll get paid quicker, you'll spend more time writing your column and less time working out your billing. And because it's the end of the year, it's a really good time to do their 30-day free trial because if you start to use it regularly, all of your next year billing and expenses and any time you're tracking, everything will be handled through FreshBooks, which will make taxes so easy. There'll be another huge time savings there. So if any of this makes sense to you out there, why not have a look at the beautifully new redesigned FreshBooks at freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. And when you do become a customer, tell them that CanadaLand sent you and you will be doing this podcast a favor. Yeah. Can you give us a bit of context of what we were listening to there and also what you made of it? Because I know that you've written about this. What you're hearing is um, chance to lock her up, speaking about Premier Rachel Notley. And while this is going on, you have the conservative leadership, federal conservative leadership hopeful Chris Alexander standing on stage, kind of smiling to himself. And he kind of conducts along with the chant. By conduct, like, I guess if you were watching the video, he's sort of like raising his arm up and down, like, as they say, lock her up. Yeah. He's, you know, egging them on and, and whipping up the crowd as, as they call for her imprisonment. Although he later then said he was uncomfortable, but at the time he's, he's smiling and he's waving his hand. So it's... <laughs> That's good. It's, good. it's good to know that he was uncomfortable as he was uh, whipping up the crowd into yeah, it's, uh, demanding her, her, her imprisonment. Okay, so tell me why this matters. Sure. So the clip is actually an anti-carbon tax rally. It was organized by the Rebel. Um, they actually bust in Albertans from Calgary and Red Deer to participate. There was between, depending on what news report you read, about 700 to 2,000 people, so uh, there were a lot of people. People are concerned about the new carbon tax that Premier Notley and her NDP government uh, are looking to implement. But uh, at this rally where they were talking about carbon tax, there were also anti-immigration flyers passed out. There were signs talking about not letting gay activists in schools. And then there was, of course, this chant, lock her up, which is borrowed from the U.S. presidential election and was one of the more appalling moments. And why did you personally take offense at this? (laughs) Where to start? Um, Alberta has seen uptake, I think, in the political rhetoric, particularly against women. We, We saw this with Alison Redford, Danielle Smith, uh, now Rachel Notley. So from different aspects of the political spectrum, it just seems like women can't win in Alberta. At the same time, just a couple days before this rally, Premier Notley got two pipelines approved. So one being an existing pipeline and upgrading it and and doubling it in length. No conservative uh, government was able to do this, but it really didn't seem to matter uh, because of the carbon tax. So you're just seeing um, a little bit of unreasonableness, in my opinion. And then you get into just wacko territory where you have uh, a democratically elected woman um, being subjected to lock her up chance. 
You also put this in the context of the massacre in Montreal, the anniversary of which just came up. Yeah, in my column, I talk about um, Mark Lapine and uh, other insults towards, like, MLA Sandra Jansen. Uh, she stood on the legislature floor and read out a few things that had been sent to her. When we are talking about violence against women and we're talking about the Montreal massacre, you know, we're just seeing some of the same kinds of hateful rhetoric uh, that instigated the shooting uh, in Montreal. You were not alone in in denouncing that chant and I think criticizing Chris Alexander for not denouncing it more strongly, especially while it was actually happening. The Globe and Mail uh, had a masthead editorial saying that everyone needs to denounce this chant. And I saw some pushback from Albertans and from some columnists. They're not here right now. And, and I, th- I think, you know, it's probably high time that I have somebody who represents these views and somebody maybe even from the oil sector in Alberta on the show. So we'll, we'll do that soon. But I think if I could, tr- like, I'll take a stab at presenting, I think, what their response to the Globe and Mail's response to this denunciation to like, you know, there was a lot of press about this law corrupt chant yeah. making its way into Alberta. And to try to summarize some of the things I was hearing, I think a lot of people felt like, look, toughen up. This is politics. Politics is uh, it's it's uh, a bare knuckle thing. And people have been calling for all sorts of awful things to happen to politicians for a long time. Uh, there's a big difference between chanting it and saying it and doing it. And this is what happens at a protest. And uh, it's got nothing to do with their gender. People have been saying this about uh, male politicians for, you know, uh, decades, if not centuries. And, you know, you guys are so sensitive about all your little microaggressions. But meanwhile, the people chanting, you know, why don't you care about them? Right. And how this taxation is affecting them and the fact that Alberta economically is getting destroyed and people have genuine, legitimate concerns about this tax. And they are totally free to oppose it in the strongest terms they want to say it. I think some people would say that. I know you didn't equate this, of course, to the violence against women at that massacre in Montreal, but that it's inappropriate to somehow link those things. Yeah, I think you've summed up the counter argument pretty well. I understand the frustration because a few protesters have completely disrailed the rally. Now, of course, the rally is organized by Ezra Levant and rebel media. So it's sort of you're getting into weird territory here anyway, where we're talking about activist journalism. I know that that was created, a new term created by the United Nations, but it's a good one and it's accurate yes. in this case. Um, well, that's a whole other thing, but yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is. The, the role that they're playing is weird. Like they're really getting involved in uh, political movement, which, you know, I mean, I guess maybe Rabble does that too, just not as effectively perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we may be seeing that. Um, so they've lost control of the narrative and, and I get that that's frustrating and the carbon tax, it comes at a difficult time. I mean... We are struggling in Alberta, and and I'm an Albertan, and I understand how seeing uh, something like the Globe and Mail, which is you know largely based in Toronto, denouncing the chants from all the way across the country can come across as elitist, as um, sort of the same thing that they've come to expect, like rather than listening to the issues that people are doing outcries on on this specific thing. At the same time, why were people, if they care just about the carbon tax, why are they bringing anti-immigration flyers? Why are they bringing signs about letting gay activists in schools? They're bringing in all of their, uh, not just fiscal conservative, but social conservative issues to the rally, and they're borrowing, you know, they looked at the election in the U.S. and thought, yeah, let's have one of those. 
That's the part that bugs me is that it's so lame, the copycatness of it all. And mm-hmm. we're seeing this kind of this desire to find Canadian issues to latch these Trumpisms onto. Like, can't we get our own style of uh, reactionary, <laughs> re- reductive fascism in Canada? <laughs> I mean, um, I think sometimes we just watch too much Fox News. I mean, I don't know about Ontario, but in Alberta, there were quite a few people who seem to favor the rhetoric in in the U.S. rather than look at it as a cautionary tale. The media itself is loving Kelly Leach. Like, she's getting far more press than I think she deserves. Uh, Jason Kenney has has sort of been likened to Trump, but it's not really sticking. He did denounce the chant. Uh, He took pretty strong language with it. Uh, and, And he is somewhat more reasonable. So it is bothering me that we're borrowing this rhetoric. It's bothering me to see people walking around with Make America Great Again hats. I mean, I have concerns about the economy, but I just don't see that. I think it's a little disingenuous to say that the rally was just about that. You know, I, I almost feel guilty for that derisive mockery of the Canadian version of Trumpism only because I'm having like this sort of like soul searchingness around a recognition of just how not only ineffective mocking the fascism of Trumpism was as it played out in America, but how it actually might've actually helped him. And that, um, the sneering of Eastern, uh, you know, liberal arts grads like myself towards the issues of angry Albertans, it just fuels, you know, I I think we have to take it seriously. If, if, if if Ezra Levant is, uh, and, and these masses, uh, these throngs are stealing chants from Trump, I see why you kind of took it up a notch in your piece. Like, mm-hmm. I think maybe if people are saying, lock her up, lock her up, in the context of just how virulent a lot of the commentary on Rachel Notley has been, we shouldn't just laugh that off necessarily. No, I think we need to have some dualistic thinking. We need to recognize that there are problems and that people in Alberta are suffering and they're frustrated and they're seeing something with a new tax while they've lost jobs or are worried about being able to feed their families. And that is serious. I mean, I live here. I want, we, we have a family who are involved in oil and, and I work with people who have, you know, been affected. So it, it's a serious issue. And yet at the same time, you can address that issue without chanting lock her up, without expressing hatred or violence towards the uh, the politicians who are sort of front and center on this. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a false dichotomy. We can take both things seriously. We can, we can take the misogyny seriously and we can take these economic situations seriously. But then who can we make fun of? We can make fun of our current liberal government yes. for this mydemocracy.ca site, which brings us to our second topic today. So, of course, the, the, the liberal government promised us electoral reform, have completely walked that back. It ain't going to happen. But if you can't have actual policy change, at least you can have a fun web survey, uh, which is what the liberals unveiled, mydemocracy.ca. And uh, here's some response that played out in Parliament from uh, Conservative MP Scott Reid. Mr. Speaker, last Friday, the Prime Minister described the MyDemocracy.ca survey in the Toronto Star as, quote, a fun little questionnaire. Well, he was so right. Based on your responses, the website groups you as a guardian, a challenger, a cooperator, a fossil, or a snowflake. I found that I'm a unicorn. The shared values of unicorns include rainbows, sparkles, and ranked ballots. To the minister is this. Will she now share with Canadians the identities of the academics who advised the Liberals to model their survey on the sorting head at Hogwarts? 
You know, before we even get into this, don't the conservatives seem so much happier in opposition? They're way funnier than they ever were in power. They're so much funnier. Uh, yeah, they, that, I mean, that seemed almost gleeful. And there were some great lines in there. The sorting hat. Love it. <laughs> have you taken the survey? I have. So, yeah, like you, you answer all these questions, which are worth talking about a little bit. And, and, then, and then you're told whether you're a guardian, a challenger, a cooperator. What, what did you get? I'm a little embarrassed here. I'm a challenger, and apparently I am in the same category as, like, 40-year-old men. <laughs> I got cuddler. I'm a, I'm a cuddler of our electoral system. And it, it, somehow it also uh, informed me that I'm gay, and apparently I'm now married <laughs> to a, another man. So I didn't know that the survey was binding. Um, well, we're but, all going uh, to have very different lives now, you and I, Jesse. <laughs> we need to mock this survey with everything we have. It's a pretty terrible replacement for what what Canadians were promised in putting this government in power. Yeah, it, it's pretty embarrassing. I mean, we've watched the Liberal government walk back their promise, which was, I mean, it was unequivocal. It was last election in the first-past-the-post system. And, and we've watched them, like, you know, Trudeau had some comments uh, a couple months ago about how now Canadians are fine because, you know, everybody was more upset because it was the Conservatives in power. And I guess what's most insulting is do they actually think that we're buying this? That's it. it. It's not that shocking for, uh, you know, it, once in power, a government not to honor their campaign promises. Like, that's a big snooze. That happens all the time. But the sheer insult of, in lieu of that, we have this for you, consistent with our cutesy, socially media, meme-happy image. Like, it, it, it's uh, it's gross to me, and it, I can't see it as anything but an insult to like the electorate to the citizens of Canada. The mere fact of it is insulting. And then I was insulted anew with many of the questions, which even if you're just going to have this toothless little survey, play it straight. Instead, the questions were so heavily torqued. It was essentially a push pull that set up all of these, these false kind of dichotomies of you can either be for online voting, which would of course mean that a lot more people would vote and it would be easier for a lot of people to vote. But you can't be for online voting and for secure right. voting. You have to choose one. I haven't done the deep dive into that, but I'm like, is that true? There's no follow-up. There's no further information. on like, well, what if I want to have online voting that is secure? Like, there's no information given there. You can either have the inclusion of small parties in parliament or sane parties. And, it, you know, there's this, <laughs> this question that says, would you want to have small parties even if it meant having radical, crazy fringe ideas? Like, and obviously it leaves you with the impression that that's the choice. Yeah. Do you want to have policy that's arrived at collaboratively by government or would you rather have I don't know, a functioning government. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's telling you a bunch of stuff. It's not asking you. My understanding is that it's based on the report from the committee that did talk about trade-offs. And fair, every political uh, modeling system, every democratic model does have trade-offs. I mean, direct democracy has trade-offs, first past the post, representational voting or proportional voting, um, and ranked ballots. They all, they all have pluses and minuses. So... If I'm going to be charitable to the Liberal government, I think that perhaps they were trying to highlight um, that every system is going to have some good things and some bad things. But at the same time, during the election, like they clearly took a stance that they didn't think first past the post was a good system, that it didn't fairly represent Canadians or the voices of Canadians. You have to pick one. Do you think that um, 
any of this is going to stick. Last week, it was uh, some also very funny tweets about the the, the the eulogy of Fidel Castro. Yeah. A lot of mockery of Justin Trudeau, a lot of suggestion that uh, these very kind of like soft and fluffy messages from him are getting increasingly silly. They're getting increasingly mocked. And within a conversation of, of journalists and political types and on Twitter, you can really get a sense of like, wow, you know, these are like you know, two bad weeks in a row. And yet I always wonder, without suggesting that it was some grand conspiracy to distract us, did this survey not have the effect of distracting us from a much more, uh, perhaps much more serious issue, which is all this pay-for-play stuff that uh, we're learning more and more about where Trudeau has been offering his attention and his conversation to various interests in exchange for very expensive fundraising events? If they put it out as a distraction, that would be a, a weird political move, but maybe. <laughs> I just think that if you just are constantly doing uh, silly social media stuff or stuff that you know people are going to take the bait and roll their eyes and make fun of you, right. it'll just like keep the conversation there in a place that's controllable. Uh, so I don't think it's linked. Like we're going to have a bad day because of pay for play. So let's do this my democracy thing. I just think it's just like it's worked out really well for them to always have something silly for us all to chew on. And then everything else kind of gets second service after that. What I'm consistently confused about with the liberal, liberal government is whether they – like are they trying to be offensive with, with the Castro comments? I'm not sure if that's a mark of somebody who really is that out of touch with Canadians or if it was – you know, taking a stance on, uh, well, this is the thing that I want to say, and I'm going to say it anyway. And with the reform, I'm, I'm similarly confused if the government, do they truly think that uh, first past the post is fine? Do they think that um, that this mydemocracy.ca survey is going to give them any answers? Or are they just sort of wasting all of our time? Okay, Danielle, this is the time on our program where we take a second mm -hmm. to uh, duly note a couple of things. I just have one thing uh, that somehow filtered into my feed from Precedent Magazine, which I was, you know, not so familiar with. It's a it's a trade mag for the legal profession, where uh, I read a uh, a very favorable profile of Michael Bryant, who is, of course, the former Attorney General of Ontario, whose career took a tragic turn. His life took a tragic turn when he I, like. I, I, it's, it, I'm having the same trouble that the writer of this profile had, which is like, he killed Darcy Allen Shepard. Like, he was driving a car and the car killed the cyclist when it started on Like, the, the, the facts were never tested in court. And I'm always wondering, like, what legal place I'm in to just like, but like, if, if I'm driving a car, whoever's fault it was, and my car hits you and you die, I think I killed you. So I'm going to just say that he killed Darcy Allen Shepard. And um, that was the subject of a previous episode of Canada Land. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Bryant has kind of come back into public discussion after like long absences. He wrote a book that was all about his own addiction issues and anger issues and how this tragic accident affected him without taking a shred of responsibility for this accident that he was never tried for. And there was a magazine profile. And every time that the story of the death of Darcy Allen Shepard is retold, it's, it's like, it seems to be retold from Michael Bryant's perspective. So this is whatever happened to Michael Bryant, and it's this glowing profile of how he's sort of like still in penance, and now he could be making a fortune on Bay Street, this profile says, but instead he's like building a criminal law practice from the ground up, you know, helping out with bail hearings, like really like meat and potatoes, low-grade stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, there's just stuff in there that bugged me. Uh, in court, Bryant looks anything but a criminal. 
reads mm. the profile. He stands five foot eight with a gray textured suit with a matching vest, a crisp dress shirt, a bold red tie, and brown leather shoes. He's short. He's wearing a suit, so I guess he doesn't look like a criminal. But way beyond that, like the piece interviews his priest. It's all about the good works he's doing. And I, I believe in second chances in life. There's a problem when we haven't fully contended with what happened. But I just want to alert people to Bryant has a choice as to whether or not he wants to be profiled by magazine after magazine. Yeah. So the idea is that he's toiling in secrecy because he wants to like step outside of the spotlight and just do good works for the rest of his days. We just need to be on alert that this is the way in which tarnished reputations are rebuilt. It takes a long time and it, it's a press strategy. You allow the reporter to come talk to you. You give them the phone numbers of all the people who say nice things about you. And that is what we are witnessing play out over a course of years in the case of Michael Bryant. Duly noted. What do you got? I have the uh, Prime Minister working to reassure First Nations about some of his political promises. So we're in the middle of the Assembly of First Nations gathering right now, and Trudeau announced the Indigenous Languages Act, which is supposed to help to preserve and revitalize um, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit languages in Canada. So I myself am Métis and um, and although I speak some French, I don't speak any Cree, and I don't speak the Chif, our, um, our combined language. So there's a potential for this to be really exciting. It's, it's interesting that this is coming out at the same time as the pipelines, which of course is also going to face a lot of opposition from Indigenous people. Uh, I don't think that we've seen the reconciliation that we expected from this government, but we're seeing small pieces of hope. I think that in language is culture. So the preservation of uh, Indigenous languages is going to be really important for Canada. So I am happy to see that. Duly noted. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity and they are doing cutting edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does 
BetterHelp. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Uh, Danielle, we're going to talk about our other sponsor today, <laughs> Giftagram. Have you uh, done your holiday shopping? No, I'm leaving it to the last minute. Well, I have a solution for you for this as well. Uh, Giftagram is very good for uh, procrastinators and laggards like you and I, and people like myself who just go into like fits of traumatic shock at the thought of going to a shopping mall this time of year. If you haven't heard me talk about it before, it's the easiest way to shop. You download this app to your iOS or Android device, and in like three clicks, you go through, you know, you choose who you want to buy a gift for or the price point. You pull up the person you want to give it to from your contacts and connect them with that gift and you're done. They sent an email that says you bought them a gift and then they say where they want it sent to. It's the easiest way to shop from the curation to the whole process of getting the gift to them and you don't have to go to a shopping mall. There's a wine box for 85 bucks. Who who would not want to get a wine box filled with delicious wine or a diamond rocking glass set or this like Montreal cookbook that I saw on Giftagram. So listen, you have to buy gifts. I'm talking to you out there. I like it when this, the sponsorship spots are actually useful to people. And we always make sure that the stuff we talk about on the show is useful to some people. This time is useful to everybody because if you go and use Giftagram now, you're just going to get $20. They're just giving you money. It's 20 bucks towards your first purchase there. And if you use the gift code CanadaLand, they will just take 20 bucks off of uh, the first thing you send. Check it out. The final thing I want to talk with you about today is this long-awaited feature article in Toronto Life magazine telling the story from start to finish of reporter Ravina Olak, who is uh, a journalist who took her own life in the midst of this uh, this love triangle and, and, and a lot of other issues at the Toronto Star. And we talked about it on this show. It was covered extensively elsewhere. But I think there was a lot of appetite, like just trying to figure out what exactly happened. Can you tell me this human drama from beginning to end? And Leah McLaren, who's, I think, very talented at writing those sorts of feature stories, to anyone just picking this up and, and wanting that narrative, I think they got it. I think they got a compelling, gripping narrative about just how this might have happened. But it's not all true. It's not all accurate. And that's a problem. Did you happen to have a chance to read it? Yeah, I did. Um, and right at the bottom was a horrible reminder that she also wrote that awful <laughs> John Gomeshi piece. There is a bit of a pattern in Toronto life of powerful people, Michael Bryant actually men, one of them. Who, powerful men. Yeah, who, you know, kind of tend to walk away from these allegations and tragic outcomes for other people and then have some sort of exonerating, exculpatory, sympathetic profile in Toronto life. So <laughs> there's a larger trend going on there. Anybody who reads this, I think, would leave with the impression that what happened here is, hey, people are going to have affairs. This woman had an affair with a married guy. You know, they share a responsibility. And then he cheated on her with his boss. All's fair in love and war. He, you know, might not be, you know, he might be a bit of a cad, but she had real serious issues. And this is really more about how vindictive and damaged she was. That is... I think if you just look at the comments and some of the vicious, awful things people say, people talking about like, oh, she got what she deserved. Like I, I clipped a bunch of these comments just to kind of be able to go through what the outcome of this article was to readers. But I actually don't want to read them in any more detail than I than I just grazed on. 
But if you'll indulge me, Danielle, I, 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 I think we got to start with the facts and uh, at the risk of boring people, because like, this is a story that is not getting much public interest and never yes. did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's out there and this sort of ha- is at risk of becoming the definitive account. So there's just a few things that aren't so or that were weird about the piece or that were changed about the piece. Can I just go through this really quickly with you? Okay. The original version of the story contained a passage about how Jane Davenport, John Filson's boss, the managing editor of the Toronto Star, originally denied having an affair with him. Mm-hmm. And because she was later found to have had the affair, she was in direct, like, you can't do that. You can't sleep with somebody who works directly under you in, in the Toronto Star or pretty much any organization. She was removed from her job and then later she was forced to resign. And then there's like uh, some sort of Twitter exchange between Jane Davenport and Leah McLaren, half of which was later erased from Twitter. And the next thing you know, the online version of the article removes most of those details. And there's no correction or clarification. It's just gone. So that's something that I think somebody needs to point out. But the bigger problem with this piece to me is that it quotes John Hondrick uh, of the Hondrick family who were behind the Toronto Star. I think he's the, the chairman of, of the board of Torstar as saying, you know, well, we don't really have any place in the bedrooms of our employees. And it quotes Michael Cook, the editor-in-chief of the Toronto Star, saying, well, John Filson did nothing wrong in terms of his workplace behavior. There is no mention in the piece of what the National Post was able to confirm, which is that John Filson had a reputation of preying on interns that was known to Ryerson University who would warn interns going to the star to look out for this guy. And in fact, they were able to actually speak with a woman who, when she was 22 years old and an intern of the Toronto Star had been in a sexual relationship with John Filson, which is against the rules. Of course, you're not allowed to sleep with your interns. And who she says she felt bullied and trapped in that relationship. So to say that the guy did nothing wrong when there is evidence on the record of him breaking the rules mm-hmm. is... Uh, a, a conscious omission because there's no way that was not known to Leah McLaren. And it's a conscious omission that I think goes towards presenting Filson in a very specific light. So I just wanted to, to correct the record from, from my perspective, having read all of this copious coverage of this. I don't know that we should have a profile written about it. Like it's such a tragic story and she didn't want uh, the discussion. She didn't want this discussion. She didn't want people uh, pushing out this information. And and it's not just honoring her wishes. It's just, you know, we have two people, well, three people in, in a private situation that ended really tragically. So I, I struggle with that. At the same time, um, you know, John Filson does have a reputation and that's fair to know it. I'm not sure. I think there were a few things that were missing from this piece and that maybe are just missing from my own knowledge. I'm not convinced that the Toronto Star is endorsing these sorts of relationships, that they're just fine with it and they think it's great uh, or, or that they're aware to the extent that it was going on. And yet, um, you know, if there's a pattern and if you have schools warning interns before they come in that this could be a problem, then probably more people were aware than are willing to talk about it. It was so personal. It was so expository. Um, and at the same time, having this kind of um, really sympathetic posture towards John Filson while talking about Ravina being, you know, mentally ill and disturbed and drinking at noon... It seemed a little unfair because she can't defend herself. 
That's it. It's similar to the Michael Bryan thing. We, we hear the story from his perspective, you know, and the dead tell no tales. But, you know, one of the most difficult things about this whole story is this idea that Ravina didn't want anyone to talk about it. And it's actually really ambiguous or rather it's contradictory. She explicitly said, I don't want anyone to write about me. Mm-hmm. She also tried to raise issues within the Toronto Star. She wanted to take these issues to senior management. Yeah. And, and that's actually another error in the piece. The piece says that she swore her boss, Lynn McCauley, to secrecy, which may or may not have happened at some point, but it's also true that she petitioned and made many efforts. She, she made efforts to tell other people in the star about the situation. She she felt that this was not just about an interpersonal conflict. She felt that there were abuses at work that people needed to know about. And that's put us all in a, in a, in a difficult position. The horse has left the stable in terms of not talking about this, especially when there's misinformation and factually incorrect information out there. Yes. And then it's like, well, do we not talk about it and just let that stand? But I agree with you fully, especially this piece, which because it's this attempt to give you the personal story of these relationships, it feels wildly inappropriate to go to the places where this piece takes you into her home, into her relationship, into the details point by point that we've never had before about her suicide itself. And here I'm not really holding up Leah McLaren or Toronto Life to any specific or particular condemnation. I think I'm just voicing some of the discomfort with just the job that I think we all do. Uh, Mm. That's the line that we're just constantly trying to navigate and I think occasionally stepping over. Danielle, I I appreciate you coming on the show and thank you for sharing all your insights into all this stuff. Thank you for coming on to Canada Land Shortcuts. Thank you so much. It was fun. That is your episode for today, and you can email me about it or anything else, and I'll read it, and I will respond when I can. I am at jesse at canadalandshow.com, and we are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Danielle, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Twitter at Danny Parody, uh, and my column is runs on Tuesdays in Edmonton Metro. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Kevin Sexton. Syndication of Canada Land is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.